Welcome to the Mental Mile. I'm Charisty. I'm Christy. And we are moms, friends, and therapists. So we are so excited today because we have our second guest, Paula Quinn, on the podcast today. And she is a mama to two girls. She is um, the founder of a nonprofit coming up, Rosie's, and also the author of a new book, My Hair Went on Vacation, and Charisty and I both have that book. So we're really excited to get to talk to you today and hear a little bit more about your family story, um, about how you took care of yourself and practice self-care during this time, and also just you know, how you and Rosie and your family have created such meaning out of her alopecia diagnosis and created this wonderful nonprofit, um, have given back during coronavirus to healthcare workers, and also um, spreading the message of just um, embracing your inner confidence and kindness through writing this book as well. So we're really excited to chat with you more. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. Oh, before we get started, was there anything that you wanted to share more just about introducing yourself and what you guys have been doing lately? I mean, I feel like you, I should bring you along with me everywhere I go because that was such a wonderful introduction. Um, but no, I, I think, I think you captured it all and I'm just looking forward to kind of sharing my story and um, our family experience and our journey because it, there's been good days and there's been not so good days. So I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. Well, we're so happy to have you. So maybe we could start with that. If you could just share a little bit about your family story and Rosie's story and um, yeah, help us um, understand a little bit more the background that led to this great organization and your children's book. Perfect. So Rosie was two and a half when she was diagnosed with alopecia. So it just happened to coincide with me returning back to work after my second maternity leave with our youngest daughter, Caroline. So she had the first day of work, you know, was typical mom going back to work, your child screaming and crying and grabbing on your leg saying, mommy, don't go. I know that all moms have, have been through that. And um, so she, her like disdain of me leaving the house went on for like a good three weeks. And I remember calling the pediatrician saying, this is just not normal. Like after like three days of it, I thought it would just get a little better. Right. And subsequently at the same time at night, I was getting around the bathtub and I noticed she had a small, like little patch of hair on the top and the crown of her head mm -hmm. that was missing. So I thought she was pulling it out, to be honest. She right. was a thumb sucker and she would like twirl her hair with her finger. And I thought she was getting so angry and so stressed out that she just was like pulling her hair. And I asked her, I remember asking her, like, Rosie, are you pulling out your hair? She's like, no, I'm not, you know. So this went on for like a week. And every morning I'd wake her up and I would like find curls of hair on the pillow. And by that end of that first week of going back to work, the, the whole entire crown was gone. So I called back the pediatrician. I'm like, okay, you know what? There is something off. I, I literally think she's stressed out and her hair is falling out. Yeah. I said, bring her in bring her in and he takes one look and he says, Oh, this is not hair falling out. This is alopecia. Mm -hmm. I was like, what is this? And he's like, okay, I know you work at Google. Do not Google it. It'll freak you out. It's not, it's not life-threatening. So right. okay, thank goodness. Um, but he's like, it's, it's, you know, an autoimmune disease where your hair essentially falls out. So let me send you to the specialist. So by the time he got to see the specialist, which is, ironically it's a dermatologist because it's a skin disease okay um, all of her hair was gone so from the first day I went back to work to three weeks later she was completely bald mm -hmm. um and 
you know, at this point, I was like, well, what is this doctor going to do? You know, I right. mean, the hair is gone, but maybe we would have the opportunity to learn more about it. Um, maybe get some treatments that were safe. I think that was another big concern. She was only two and a half. Right. So um, we basically went to the specialist. He gave us a round of steroids for a month just to maybe, you know, strengthen the body and, and to um, maybe hopefully like stimulate more hair growth gave us some shampoo to put on her head where it's like, it's like a, a hair cream. And he put her on an antihistamine. He put her on like Zyrtec, you know, just cause it, it's kind of essentially an allergy. Your body's attacking your hair follicle. Okay. So, um, we, we did all those things like good patients. Um, and when we asked questions like, what is, is there a cure? Is there some sort of treatment? And every answer was like, no, there is no cure. There is no treatment that is effective, especially for young children. Okay. Uh, and we just kind of were set forth in the world just to kind of deal with having a bald little two-year-old. Like there was nothing we could physically do. So I think that's kind of where our, our story started. Um, and we just kind of went on this crusade to make Rosie love herself being bald. Um, and at two, two and a half, as you know, they're very egocentric. So she actually really didn't mind being bald. Right. The funny thing is when, when she was half bald, she never asked where her hair was. She'd still be like, mom, put a ponytail in. And I was like, try to put a Houdini side ponytail, like out of like the, the remaining hair that was on right. her She never asked until when all of her hair was gone. She's like, oh, where's my hair? And I'm yeah. like, where have you been for the last three weeks? Like, I'm like, I think my next doctor's eye appointment, like you need an eye doctor. Like, right. oh, are you not even noticing this? Um, so basically she was completely in phase. She didn't care that she was bald. She didn't want to wear hats. She didn't want to wear wigs. She didn't like any of the creams you're putting on. And it was one day I, I was, I thought I was hiding my feelings very well, which, you know, apparently I wasn't. And my little precocious Rosie came up to me and she's like, mommy, it's okay. And she put a little arm, her little, you know, arm on my shoulder. She's like, my hair is just on vacation. And so oh. it kind of was at that moment, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know what? Why am I upset? Like she is, I need to get on team Rosie. She's like, <laughs> like fun, but my hair's on vacation. So like every night before bed, we would like come up with these wonderful adventures and, and tales of where the hair went. And I mean, we went to California to visit Noni and Papa, which yeah. is the world a lot. Um, so <laughs> like we, we had, we were like, had frequent flyer classes there. Right. Um, I went to Italy and it just became this, like, my hair is on vacation. And we, at that moment said, you know what, if she's okay with it, then we're okay with it. Um, and she actually asked us to stop wearing, you know, doing the medicine. Cause she's like, it doesn't really work. It's not, you know, it's, there's, I mean, for a two, for a three o'clock or three year old at that time saying, mommy, like, I don't need this anymore. It's not, it doesn't help me. I'm like, okay, well then wow, that you're okay with it. And so I think we were just really trying to make her feel comfortable in her own skin at such a young age. So that's how it all started. That's how it all started. That's amazing. And I think, you know, um, Paula and I are family friends. So we've known each other for a long time and it's been neat seeing your daughter through her, um, through your social media for coming up Rosie's because she has this light that you have Paula. She has the same light in her personality. And I think, um, 
you know, I, I hope you don't mind me saying, I mean, Paula was a bridesmaid in about a hundred weddings because she has this light and specialness that everyone's like, we're best friends, right? And I want you standing up next to me on our day. And I see that same thing when I see Rosie online, because you live in Chicago now and, and we're in California, so I haven't gotten to meet your kids. But, um, but that was the first thing I thought when I would see her on there. And so I love how um, expressive she was. And it's no surprise to me that you raised a daughter that could express that to you um, at three, right? Mm -hmm. And of course, you're entitled to your own feelings. You're the mom, right? Um, but you get to have those feelings and have your experience. But you also said, hey, I'm going to join her where she is as well and just be her biggest cheerleader and supporter with that. That's so beautiful. Yeah. But you know, I will say I did have to go get help because as brave as Rosie was, I needed to kind of process my own feelings. And it wasn't so much that I needed help about Rosie's hair loss. Cause I mean, that was kind of like out of my control. I kind of gave that up. Right. She's just, she's bald. She has an autoimmune disease. There's no reason why it happened. It just triggered her body is presenting itself. It was more along the lines of when people would come up to us and it was the unsolicited comments or the openly like staring and pointing you know when Rosie was first two and a half like she didn't she didn't really notice that that was going on but I did right and I was just like just stop staring at my kid or right. just stop coming up to us and asking like what kind of treatment she is or stop coming up to us and telling us your cancer story because I mean there was a period of time where Rosie until this day she was like people say, oh, does she have cancer? And so Rosie thought that cancer was contagious and she was afraid to like go anywhere because she's like, am I going to catch cancer? Like people mm -hmm. think I have cancer, am I going to catch it? So right. a lot of like that going on. So I did go to therapy to really kind of help. How do I address the situation in, in real time mm -hmm. in front of Rosie, my two-year-old who's listening to every single word and how do I show grace to these people? And, and they thank you for your concern. That's really nice without wanting to really like yell at them. Yeah, <laughs> so absolutely. It was, it was a very, um, it was like climbing Mount Everest, like the whole emotions with that kind of got me. Um, and so I think that's kind of how the actual, the book started um, because I, you know, was my therapist is like, you should really journal and write mm -hmm. down your feelings. And I'm like, well, I, I talk about my feelings every week when I see you, like, isn't that enough? And she's like, no, you should really write them. And I have this like crazy thing where I, I believe that I never want to write anything down that is not okay to be printed on the cover of the New York Times. So I'm like, you know what? I'm not writing a journal, but I do like writing. So I kind of took my feelings and I wrote this book and I called it Rosie's book. I opened up a Google doc and Google drive yeah. and I just started like writing little things of like how we could approach people and how can we talk about things and taking the heroin on vacation was kind of how it started. Um, and so, so the fact that we're fast forward to here and it's published, it's kind of surreal because I never intended or set out to be an author. It was more of, I wrote that for me um, to kind mm -hmm. of share with Rosie at the time. And it wasn't until my, like last year, we were on a road trip and my husband, we're always thinking of creative ways to raise money for the charity. And he says, you remember that book that you wrote for Rosie? And I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Like that yeah. was 2013. That was so long ago. And he's like, you should like publish it and all the proceeds can go to charity. And I said, wow, I don't even know. So like I, I happened on my laptop and I just, I just did a search, a search for Rosie's book and up it popped. I mean, now right. obviously 
I had to update it. Like at the time we didn't have the charity. I didn't have the head scars, you know, so we kind of, I had to finish it. And I was like, oh my gosh, maybe he's onto something. So now here we are today. And it's, it's been kind of a, he likes to say it was a brilliant idea. It's his idea. So <laughs> I have to give him credit because he's been my rock through all of this. So, yes. um, you know, which is kind of a, a good, good, we were a tag team. We're a good team. Yeah, absolutely. One thing, I, one thing I really like about your story is that, you know, you were, you're thrown into a position where you feel powerless really. And then you're really searching for empowerment and you turned your pain into um, like something bigger than you, something um, that, you know, is doing really a lot of good for the world and for other people. And it's empowering for you, but also for this community that you're building through your organization. It is, it is. And I kind of feel like, you know, pain, there's always a silver lining to everything. And, you know, you don't, you might not see it right in the moment, but I, I'm kind of looking back on our journey, you know, it, there has been so many blessings along the way. Um, and initially, like when we started the charity, I wanted to, you know, selfishly, I wanted to make Rosie happy and Rosie smile, but the byproduct has like just transcend exponentially. Now all of these kids and children are smiling and it's, it's just a good, it's a good lesson for me just, you know, take a chance. Kids have great ideas. And it's just been, I guess my new, my new passion project is just making her smile and other children smile. So. When did you start the charity? How many years ago? So that's a whole different story. So, okay. Fast forward to when Rosie was four. And at that time, that golden age, you're, you're a little bit more self-aware. Right. And she did not like people talking and pointing and staring. Mm -hmm. Um, and we just saw that she just started to, you know, kind of just, I don't know, she started to shrink. Like she'd have, a, someone mm -hmm. would point to us or point at her and say, is that a boy or a girl? Like really loud. Cause kids, you know, they don't really right. know. Elders. She would hear that mm -hmm. and she'd like, like clutch onto my leg and she'd say, mommy, you know, I don't like what they're saying. And you know, she would start just to like shut down. Yeah. And he was always very chatty. So I was like, well, this is, this is a problem. Like this, this is happening. You know, when the, when the, when the doctor said, you know, children with alopecia often are, have anxiety and depression and seek, you know, therapy. Like I was like, oh, here we are. It's already at four o'clock, mm -hmm. four years old. Um, so I remember talking to my husband and I said, what can we do for Rosie? She doesn't want to wear a wig. She doesn't, hats are really hard to keep her on. She's, yeah. wellness doesn't bother her. Um, and so I'm like, we must be able to put like her artwork onto a headscarf. So I was at work, I Googled it, couldn't find any solution. I was having lunch with a coworker and she's like, oh my gosh, you know, my sister does this for state maps. Let me connect you. So we, which is so random. Yeah. I, I never knew that people would make headscarves for state maps, but that is awesome because it really helped me like get the charity up and running. Yeah. So I gave, she sent me to her printer who was in Chicago. I got a prototype. I got one thing. I just said, I just have one of a bald little girl. Can you just make one? They did me a yeah. total favor. And I gave it to her and she looked in the room, in the mirror for like literally like five minutes. And she looked at me and she's like, I want to give this to all the bald kids. And I said, oh, oh. really? That's really sweet. But that's really not going to happen. <laughs> Come on, mom. I'm I like, did the research. Yeah, it might be hard. Yeah, I'm like, honey, I have, a, I have a job. Like, I can't just like, 
And I'm like, kids aren't going to want your headscarf. That's your headscarf. And so literally for six months, she would ask me every other day, like, mommy, when are we going to make those for the golf kids? Like they want to smile too. Um, and so after about six months, you know, I'd been at Google for uh, like 10 years and mm-hmm. thought maybe, maybe she's onto something. And everywhere we went, we got like extreme validation because, you know, people were focusing on Rosie's headscarf, not on the baldness. And the right. conversation was positive. And it was like, oh, wow, I like your headscarf. Or, right. oh, like that's, where can I get one? And instead of going like, are you a boy or a girl? Yeah. Um, so, and then I remember we had gone to see her, her dermatologist and he's like, okay, when you start this, like, this is amazing. And when you start this, I want to help you. Like, this is so empowering and so helpful. And it's such a easy way to, you know, have confidence and it just turned everything around. So I just, I kind of decided to, to leave. I did have to, leaving Google for me was really hard. Um, I think people were like, why are you why are you leaving there? I mean, Chris, you know, like the pressure, like, why would you leave the best company? And they are, right. they were the best company, but I've been there 10 years and making Rosie smile was kind of more important to me than my job at Google. So that's how I decided. I just, I left Google and then exactly one year to the day when I left that, I gave myself a year. I'm like, okay, you gotta, you gotta yeah. figure out a year. Like, you know, build a website, figure out supply chain, all this good stuff. And we launched it a year later and here we are today. Like, it's just, it kind of grew more than I ever could even have imagined. So, which, which makes me feel like I did the right thing. Cause you're always like, am I doing the right thing? Is this the right thing? Do I, I mean, is it stupid? Is it like, is it gonna be well received? Do people care? Do people need that? Like, you're always questioning, like, what am I doing? So, right. Right. Here we so it's really started out by like, um, people submitting their children's artwork and then it turning into headscarves. Is that how it worked? It's it. Well, so my first mistake and I've made lots of mistakes. Let's, let's talk about the mistakes. The first <laughs> mistake was I, when I started this, I was like, okay, it could be a charity, which I, I kind of thought it should be, or it could just be like a Tom's, like we'll sell the scarf right. mm-hmm. and all the proceeds will just go to us donating art supplies to the children's hospital. Cause I never was doing it for the money. Like it wasn't, right. it wasn't for the money for me. And I kind of chose the, the business part because it was easier to set up. I didn't have to get a board in, write bylaws, whatever. So three weeks after we launched, everyone's like, I would give more money. Like if you were a nonprofit. And I was like, oh my God, this is like my first mistake. I'm like, I knew I should have just like, you know. So then I had to hire a lawyer to kind of change everything. Like after right. three weeks of, I, you know, and I didn't want to mess up, you know. So that was my first mistake. So what we initially did is, you know, we always have the, the shop. So everything, all the proceeds go back to our, our mission. But we started with donating 20 of these little, what we call smile kits. And it's basically a canvas, paints, and brushes. Yeah. And they're, they're about, you know, eight by 10. It can be bedside because we would donate, donate them to the children's hospital thinking that it could be an activity that the children could do while in their bed. Um, cause some are not always healthy to go to like the playroom. So it was an activity that was kind of compact. It was easy for the art therapist or the child life specialist to bring it to the room and just give the child an opportunity to paint whatever they were feeling. Um, some use it as a tool before a procedure to kind of talk about to, you know, like let's, let's paint, let's think about something else dude, or, you know, paint mm-hmm. while we're talking about 
what's going to happen to you later today or tomorrow. Um, And then whoever was there, whether it was a child life specialist or the parent would take a picture just on your iPhone of the image. And then they just email it to us. And then we take that image and I do a little editing, you know, um, and then we send it to our printer and then it takes about two to three weeks. And then we send the finished headscarf or neck scarf or which we have the superhero capes because Rosie was feeling with the boys and he did something because sometimes boys didn't always want to wear the headscarf. I love that, Paula. So she, we, and then we send it directly to the child. Sometimes it goes back to the hospital because there's a lot of children that are in the hospital. Like we just got one yesterday and the um, child's been in the hospital for 240 days. And so it's just, it's a long, it's a, it's a long time. So hospitals are our main um, outlet. Uh, We're in about 25 hospitals nationwide. And then we have the alopecia part. So we partner with alopecia foundation. They have events, um, you know, yearly conference. We did a big scarf design party for 85 children two years ago. This year was kind of canceled because of COVID, but we did Zoom one with the Canadians. So we did about 25 Canadian people with alopecia, women, children, um, and we just mailed those off, you know, last week. Um, So we we just try try to partner with alopecia organizations. And then a lot of requests come in whenever we're in the press, we get emails like my son has alopecia or Mm -hmm. my neighbor has alopecia. And, you know, we are able and so fortunate just, I say, just give me your address and we will send you um, a smile kit. So we've been very fortunate that I've never had to turn anyone away. Um, So that's kind of like the, the gist of our program. So can anybody actually contact you and like request a kit or buy a kit? Yes. So on our website, you can buy kits. We do have a lot of people who want to buy it like as a gift for someone who's going through cancer. And I I love that because I think people feel helpless and they want to do something. Um, But there's an option like on our smile kit page, like if you want to like receive one or request one, because that's, you know, Basically, if you select that option, you, you get a, okay, you don't have to show us that you have alopecia or whatnot. Like we kind of, we, we believe, you know, and, and parents are always like, no, we want to, we want to pay it. I'm like, no, this is like why we're a charity. Like we right. want to send it to you. Like this is part of why we're doing what we're doing. So right. They're very, they're very thankful. So just my, and it's fun to see all the images come in too. Very creative kids. Right. So you have the headscarf, you got the, you got the capes. And then you have the book, which all of that, you know, is, is part of the foundation and, and um, monetary stream. Was, is there, I saw on your website that you have a race coming up. Yes. Um, so we have a virtual race um, because it's the thing to do this year, 2020. That's right. Let's go virtual. <laughs> yes. Um, so we have a virtual race and I was a little hesitant i remember at our last board meeting i said i'm like you guys okay everyone's doing a virtual race like i get i must get 20 emails a day from like the children's hospitals or you know all the 5ks that we used to run like we're getting like virtual virtual and i was you know i was like do we just take a year off like i just feel like i don't know um and rosie and, and i was saying you know it's been really tough for a lot of charities, not just, I mean, we actually have been okay because we had this, this mass campaign and we, who knew that COVID would actually be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have zero overhead. I do this out of my dining room table. So like, I'm not, I don't have, I don't take a salary. So it's not like I'm, you know, in, in like having to pay rent or whatnot. Right. 
but there's a lot of charities that are hurting just because everyone, you know, there's a high unemployment rate and charitable giving is kind of the last thing on people's minds. Sure. Yeah. So I was talking about this with Rosie. I'm like, gosh, you know, it's kind of like love to give back. And she's like, well, why don't we just like share our proceeds? You know, why can't we give money to the other charities? I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. Like that's kind of a different twist. Um, so we kind of, I go, well, how can we do this? Like we could maybe have people submit a charity. Um, I'm like, that would be a lot of work, you know? And she's like, well, I could choose them. I'm like, well, who would you choose? Um, and so we finally decided that Rosie a year ago was selected. There's this company in Chicago. It's a Chicago based company, Grant Thornton. It's a tax consulting firm, big, big firm. And they chose Rosie as their first purple paladin. And since then, they've chosen three other charities. Um, one that's COVID relief, one that actually you guys would like, it's called Pal Experiences. Um, it's the, the tagline is everyone gets to go. And it's kind of a, it's an online, it's an app where um, children or parents with, you know, children with autism or other special needs get to go to museums and, and parks at an earlier time. So it's not as overwhelming. Oh, um, yes. You should check them out, Palace, yeah. or maybe have her on next. She's amazing. Um, and then the other one is, um, who's the other one? Oh, a young kid in college. He um, is African-American and never, and loves superheroes. He loves capes. He always wore a cape. And he never found that any of his superheroes were looking like him. So he has created this whole comic series of just like diverse superheroes um so it's kind of you know got a little social justice got a little COVID relief um and you have the autism help and so we wow. decided that we're going to split all the proceeds among four of us because um, i feel like this is not here anyways yeah i feel like you know people right now during the pandemic are really looking for ways to have purpose in their lives and virtual races is like one of those ways that they can tangibly give back and and really define what purpose is yeah. so that's wonderful yeah it's like four for one you're helping four charities in like yeah. one entry so yeah and we have we originally thought like we'd have like you know 400 people we were at 500 we have three weeks to go and and i will say grant thornton has like gone a above and beyond and they've done all like this like the videos and they're promoting internally and uh, having CEO sent the email to the whole company saying please sign up it, it helps all of our paladins so it's it's been nice to see how people just you know kind of are supporting us and like kind of cheering in our corner so. come back next week to listen to the final episode with Paula Quinn we are really excited for this interview and we think you'll enjoy it she is going to talk a lot more about how she practiced self-care during her daughter's diagnosis, which is a great lesson for all of us. And then the three of us start chatting about working part-time, full-time, and staying at home. And I know that's something that a lot of parents wonder about as well. So we hope to be back with you next week. And Charisty and I thought we'd wrap up today talking about our favorite Halloween candies because we know Halloween is around the corner. So this year is going to be very different and we're just wishing you and your family um, a joyful and unique Halloween celebration this year. And I think for me, my favorite candies are Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, Kit Kats, and then definitely the Pink Starbursts.
Since this year we have the whole pandemic going on, I figure there's probably going to be a lot of people that are not going trick-or-treating but might want to do something fun with their kids. And I personally am hosting a Zoom Halloween party and I'm putting together um, some bags of treats for all my nieces and nephews and sending them out and, um, and for my own kids as well. And so, yeah, I thought it might be fun to kind of get people thinking about what their favorite candy is. So my favorite candy, um, Halloween candy, um, is pretty traditional. I love Tootsie Rolls. I love Snickers. And uh, what else? I said three, huh? I also really, really like uh, Laffy Taffy. Thank you so much for listening today. Make sure to leave us a review and subscribe. That really helps us with the podcast and share it on social media with your friends. And if you want to find out more and follow us, you can go to The Mental Mile on Instagram. And check our show notes if you want to um, check out our books. Self-Care 101 for Busy Parents, which is an ebook by Christy, and Running for Mental Health, a how-to guide by Chersty. Take care, everybody.